The following sermon by Pastor Rick Holland is brought to you by Mission Road Bible Church. For more information, visit missionroadbiblechurch.com. Well, as we turn our attention to Deuteronomy chapter 5, I want to ask an odd question that I rarely ask on a night like this. If you are in junior high or high school or college, would you just raise your hand really high for a second? I want to see where you guys are. All right, great, because tonight I'm going to preach at you. Straight at you, straight toward you, straight for you. This will be a service to you. This will be a help to you. And I trust that you'll find some traction in your lives about this ever-present command that some of your Christian parents have been more than faithful to remind you about, found in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. Right in the middle of the Ten Commandments, the Fifth Commandments, Moses says, quoting the Lord from Exodus chapter 20, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you on the land which the Lord your God gives you. A few weeks ago, we looked at this verse very exegetically and very expositionally to look at the nuance and the factors that are associated with the command, and we'll review those uh, very briefly tonight. But we want to move beyond that and say, okay, I'm called to give obedience to my parents. Number one, what's in it for me? Number two, do my parents have any responsibility in this deal? Can they really tell me anything and I have to obey them? I remember the distinct moment, I was probably 10 years old, when I questioned the reality of a child's obedience to his parents, theologically, theologically, practically, and socially. We were an iced tea drinking family when I grew up. Uh, my mom used to make iced tea so strong and so sweet that it would double as pancake syrup. Um, it was pure sugar. I mean, it was like, you know, two cups a gallon, two cups of sugar a gallon. Well, I remember that I was sitting there uh, watching some television with, it was a Saturday, uh, and my, my mom and dad were there, and my mom said, Ricky, go get me some iced tea. And as a 10-year-old, I felt the word escape my mouth and tried to chase it with my hand as it left. And I simply said, why? Why should I get you? In fact, why don't you get me iced tea? Now, that was, I didn't say that, but my mom's entire life was getting me stuff and providing for me. But I remember saying, why? Now, my dad gave me a lesson then. It was not biblical. It was not theological. It was very, the, the, the simple lesson was because she said so, boy, and see, there, was, there were levels of being in trouble with my dad. If he said, Ricky, I was okay. Richard, I was in trouble. It's my real name. Richard Lloyd, now he invokes my grandfather's name. That was received as my middle name. Now I know I'm busted. Richard Lloyd Holland, now the family name is involved here. But if he went beyond my name and simply looked at me and said, boy, that was trouble. And this was one of those times, boy, you just go get your mom some tea. So why do you obey your parents? Why? I mean, why really do you, should you, 
obey your mother and your father. And what should you obey them about? If they ask you to get them some iced tea, is that legitimate? If they tell you to go rob a bank, is that legitimate? That's usually what everyone runs to. Well, what if my parents tell me to go sin? Do I have to do that? Here's a real short sermon. Ready? No. You don't go sin if they tell you to sin. It is a very rare, dare I say, Hard to even identify time when your parents will willingly and willfully say, I want you to go sin. Most of the time, we're in the category of honoring and obeying your parents. It was several years ago, I was preaching the Ten Commandments, and I wrote some notes down that I found that I thought was very interesting. Uh, My oldest son was five, my middle son was three, and my youngest son was not able to speak yet. And I asked him a question, and I wrote these notes down. I was discussing the command to honor your father and your mother with Luke and John. I'll just say it then. And I asked them why they should give honor to their mother and me. The answers I got were amazing. These were some of their answers. I will not identify who said what. Maybe just one I will. I got this. Because you're bigger than us. Well, that worked then. That doesn't work so well for me now. Because you're special. I like that. Another answer Okay, I'm just going to say this. John, where are you? I'm going to do this with John. I wrote this down. Because mom makes us macaroni and cheese. (laughs) The foundation for obedience. Another, because dad takes us fishing. Another one, because you give us candy. Another answer I wrote down. Why should you obey mom and dad? Because you're smarter than us. And then, and I I rarely do this because I need their permission to do this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Luke, when you were five, you said this. But dad, I want you to know that I almost know more than you. (laughs) And of course I said, son, you actually, you don't. He said, don't worry. When I'm smarter than you, I will still be nice to you. (laughs) I think we've reached that time and passed it. Parenting is a joy, parenting is a challenge, and parenting is always an issue that puts us in such needy dependence before the Lord. Why should a child obey his parents? The simple answer is because God said so. But God is way more kind than to simply give commands arbitrarily without theological moorings, without theological foundations, without reasons that go along with that. We've been studying the 10 words of Moses, the 10 commandments. So far, we've looked over the shoulders of the Jews of Moses' time and learned that there is much for us in our century in this ancient law code. And as we come to the fifth commandment and to look at some of the the applications and implications of what we studied a few weeks ago in this command... We understand that this is a a different command. This is a special command. This command is set apart than all of the other ten commands in some unique ways. Honor your father, honor your mother, so that the Lord will prolong your days. This command has a promise. No other command of the ten has a rider, a promise, a contract, a, 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 a footnote. And the promise is the equivalent of saying, live long and prosper without your fingers split. It's not the imaginary Vulcan science fiction greeting. Basically, they're saying, if you do this, you will live long and you will indeed prosper. In the New Testament, Jesus was tested by the Pharisees as to what was the greatest commandment. 
We've talked about this over and over in the book of Deuteronomy. What's the best, the greatest, the highest commandment, Jesus? Jesus said, well, I won't give you one. I'll give you the first and the second. The first is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, Matthew 22, 34, 37 says. And then he says, this is the greatest and foremost commandment, but the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. That's an amazing statement. That means we can understand the whole law, the whole prophets, all this in the Old Testament by saying every command in the Old Testament falls into the category of instructing us on how to obey and honor God or how to obey and honor those authorities and those people who he's put on the planet with us. How to love God, how to love others. In other words, how to protect God's rights and how to protect others' rights. The entire Ten Commandments scheme boils down to those categories, protecting God and his rights, protecting and promoting others and their rights, loving God and loving our neighbor. It should surprise no one that when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, that parents fall into the category of neighbors. Parents fall into the category of others. It's a relationship that all of us have with our parents. It's the first one we know. It becomes the point of comparison for all other subsequent relationships we have in life. In fact, the relationship we have with our parents is the one that defines us the most. We've said uh, over and over in this study you understand that. I, I hear myself saying things. I said something to one of my sons today, and I heard Larry Holland as I said it. My dad was speaking vicariously through me in a way that I, I remember saying, I'm not going to say what my dad says. I'm not going to do what my dad does. Yeah, right. It's genetically hardwired into who you are. In many ways, the relationship we have with our parents mirrors our relationship with God, and it's supposed to. Parents give us protection and care and teaching and guidance and values, as does God. And God not only understands, but designed this powerful influence. There are two main relationships that God chooses in our world that he uses very interestingly as, as symbols, as analogies to mirror our relationship with him. The first is marriage. Ephesians 5 says a husband is supposed to love his wife as Christ loved the church, sacrificially, understandingly. And the wife is supposed to honor and respect her husband as the church does Christ. It's a mirror of the gospel. But turn over for a moment to Hebrews chapter 12. This is another passage that gives us some altitude to see that there is a a relationship that we have on earth that's supposed to instruct us about our relationship with God in heaven. You know this passage very well. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin, and you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And that launches the writer into this an analogy about sons and fathers. My son, going quoting back uh, to Proverbs chapter 3, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Now, watch how he bounces back and forth. Don't regard the, 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 the relationship that you have with the Lord lightly, nor faint when you're reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. There's a fundamental principle of spiritual reality. If you love God, if you have a relationship with God, 
one of the primary assurances of that is you can't get away with anything. God disciplines you. My, my conscience lets me know that I'm a believer and I'm a Christian. I can't get away with anything without this crushing weight of God tapping me on the shoulder. Or I can't get away with anything. I, I stretch the truth. I underestimate something. I do something, and it seems like I always get caught. That's a gift of God. When, listen, students and even parents, when you get caught in sin, that is God whispering a sweet, loving promise in your ear that you belong to him. He's not letting you get away with it. It says right here, the one that the Lord loves, he disciplines, he scourges every son whom he receives. The Christian, who, the man or woman who says they're a Christian and can get away with sin without any consequences, without any conscience, without any issue in their life, you have good reason to question whether or not that salvation is genuine. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. Now God is dealing with us as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That's a principle that he's assuming on the earth. Listen, he's saying it's obvious that a father who loves his son or daughter would discipline them. But if you are without discipline, listen to this, of which we all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Parents, if we do not discipline our children, we are proving that we don't love them. And if a parent is not aggressive about disciplining and pursuing the guardrails on a child's life, it's a, dis it's a, a demonstration that we don't have biblical love for that child. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Wow, discipline should garner respect. Hey, kids. Elementary, junior, senior, college. That discipline is not to make you stiff arm and hate and disregard and be frustrated with your parents. It's to make you respect them. They care about you. Can I assure you, kids, your parent does not get, do not get spiritual money from God for disciplining you. They don't discipline you and then go in the room and God says, here's a 20 they do it because they love you. Verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. There's a goal, and the goal for discipline, the goal for obedience is you'll become more holy. And then verse 11, please underline, memorize, highlight, star, circle, verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Hey, students, can you say amen to that? Hey, you are disciplined. You're on restrictions. You can't go out with your friends. You have to go to your room. You get the, the rod of reproof on your backside, and you don't stand up and say, what a joy. Please, that's great. I know this is perfecting holiness in me. Can we just do this again? It doesn't seem joyful. Actually, he goes on, it seems sorrowful. Yet, oh, I love that word, yet. Yet, to those who have been, here's the word, trained by it, nurtured by it, corrected by it, afterwards, that discipline yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. 
The purpose then of a parent's discipline is to train in righteousness. And as we've said before, you don't do it in anger. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. You cannot bad attitude someone into a good attitude. I understand this from my own life, my own, you know, son, don't do that. Great, dad, I'm so motivated to to not do it. Thank you for your loving, kind oversight of my soul. But know this, there's a goal. The goal is holiness. And even for young children, the goal is to show them this simple principle. Sin leads to pain. Righteousness leads to blessing. It's a real simple principle. We begin with toddlers to teach them that. Sin equals pain. Sin equals pain. Sin equals pain. Maybe I shouldn't do this. We need to be careful, though, as parents to also include that dimension where righteousness and the attempts to obey mom and obey dad has honor, has rewards. Well, we looked at two prescriptions for a life of blessing last week. Uh, time in our study. Let me just review that very quick. Now, now we're back to Deuteronomy. You honor your parents with caring devotion. Honor your parents with caring devotion. That's the first prescription for a life of blessings. Uh, honor and love your mother and your father. When you combine the passage in Exodus 20 with the passage in Deuteronomy 5 with the passage in Ephesians 6 that references those two, you get those two passages, you get two commands honor and obey. Obey means you do what they say. Honor means you respect them. You don't give them a hard time. You don't talk back. You don't stiff arm them. Honor your parents with caring devotion. And notice that the text doesn't say, obey your mother and father if you're living at home. Obey them if you're young. Obey them if they're nice people. Obey them if you agree with them. Obey them if it's in your best interest. Or obey them Obey them even if you, just if you think they're right. You're called to obey your parents, and your parents are called to give an account for that which they are commanding you to do. And don't ever be afraid to say, Mom, Dad, I don't know about this, but I'm certainly glad that God is holding you accountable for this command, and I'll just do what you say. We respect them. We love them. We care for them. We honor them. We care about them. And we saw, secondly, you enjoy your obedience with promising expectation. This has a promise. For the Jews here in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it meant that they would uh, live long on the earth, especially in uh, the, the land of Israel. Now, part of that was connected to the fact that a disobedient child who was obstinate and unwilling to obey was to be taken out and be stoned. I didn't say that. That was God's command. It was very simple, that you are supposed to follow them with loving, devotion, obedience, fosters an attitude of submission, trust, self-discipline, which in turn brings stability and longevity to your life. Now, I say all that as as a review because now we're moving into the the area um, from junior high forward. Not so much those who are younger children who just need to obey and submit and learn that Bad equals pain, good equals blessing. But now when you're in the category of moving into adulthood, you're 12, 13, moving forward, moving north in age, what happens 
when you disagree with your parents on what they say you should do? It's a fair question, right? It's a very fair question. I want to try tonight to give you some guidelines and to give the parents and give myself some guidelines to work through. It's just a series of principles that I want you to consider for honoring your parents when you disagree with them. In other words, what do you do when your plan for your day, your week, your month, your year, or your life differs from their plan? It can be as mundane as I want to do X, Y, or Z on Friday night, and they say, no, you're going to do A, B, and C. How do you disagree? Can you disagree? Is it profitable or possible to disagree? I really had to think this through, both on the mundane level and on the, 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 the level of gravitas when I was a college pastor out of Grace Church. Because I was constantly dealing with college students who ran into issues of disagreement with their parents. It could be on where they wanted to school, what they were going to major in, who they were going to date. But ultimately, this issue came to bear most with me in a counseling situation that I'll never forget. It was a girl who came to me, and she was, um, grew up in a, um, um, uh, a Buddhist family. And her, she had, was dating a guy in our ministry who was a Christian who, um, whose parents weren't Buddhist. They weren't Christians, but they weren't Buddhist. And the parents of this daughter, these, the, the guy and the girl were both wonderful, godly, loving Christians who were trying their best to obey their parents. And the girl came and said, well, what do I do? My parents won't even let me talk to this guy. He loves the Lord. They say I can only marry a, a, a Buddhist. That's, that's their demand. They don't even want me seeing anyone. They want me to, to move home. They want to stop paying for my school. It, it's, it was getting worse and worse by the day. I ended up talking with them on the phone. That didn't go so well. Uh, asking them questions. What do you do as a pastor, as a leader, as an elder? What do you do as a Christian when a parent is telling a child, do something that's obvious sin? 2 Corinthians 6, don't be bound to an unbeliever. What do you do there? Well, to fast forward the story, <clears throat> after months of discussion, literally six or eight months of going back and forth and discussing, discussing things with both parents, with these, these kids, Discussing it with our elder team and our pastors, it's the only time I can remember being so firm as a leadership and a, a elder team that we looked this couple in the eye and said, you are free biblically to strongly disobey your parents and be married. They're asking you to do something that's biblically sin. That was at the end. Let me just say this again. That was at the end of a long, multi-month process. That's the extreme. Actually, that's pretty easy when you boil, that, boil things down. I don't think I would find anybody in Missional Bible Church who would agree with the ultimate end of that counsel. What do you do on the more mundane things? What do you do on if your parents disagree with who you like? What do you do if they intercept your dreams and your vision for your day or your life in ways that you don't like? What if they ask you to do something that you disagree with? Let me give you a list of things you can do. It's okay, first of all, let me say this as a footnote, it's okay to appeal to your parents. It is not, double negative, it is not unbiblical to ask your parents for further clarification. It's not unbiblical. If your attitude is one of submission and godliness, 
If you're yelling at them, if you're hollering at them, if you're fussing with them, that's not biblical. Forget your appeal. You just lost. But if you want to say, hey, help me understand this, there's a way. So what do you do when you disagree with your parents? Let me give you some principles. Number one, pray about your response and their response to the impasse. Pray about your response and their response to this impasse. You say, really? Well, duh. No, no. Really, have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? Parents, we can talk to our kids when they disagree with us and say, hey, I want to talk to you more about this, but I'm going to pray about this. Have you prayed about this genuinely? If you don't pray about that, you're telling God indirectly that help is not needed from him. Pray with them if possible, not just about the situation, but pray with them. What about a, a, a student or a, a kid saying, Mom, I, I, Dad, I, I'm not sure about that. I don't know if I agree with that. Can we pray about that together? I don't know any godly parent who would say, No, we will not and we cannot pray about this. Suggest a plan for prayer together. Suggest that that's your desire. Do you understand that you can't do that with a bad attitude? Hey, can I go out with my friends on Friday no, you can't do that. Really? Then we should pray about it. Ah, oh, that's great. Can't wait. Imprecatory prayers are about to ensue. Pray about it. Pray about it and pray with them. There's nothing that would prevent you. By... That's a biblical command, right? In all things by prayer and supplication, make your request be made known to God. Praying at all times. Pray about it. It's really hard, by the way, to pray about something that you know isn't right. I find that praying about things purifies my motives really fast, purifies my desires, and purifies my heart. Parents and kids can deal with that. Number two, I'm talking to the, to the kids again. All right, ready? Give your seatbelt on. Be ready to be corrected. Be ready to be corrected. Don't assume that you're right. Let me fast forward from the time I was 10 years old talking about iced tea with my mom to the time I was 16. My dad said I couldn't do something. I went to my room and I articulated in my mind, my dad is a complete idiot. He doesn't understand. I actually know more about this than my dad does. I'm right. He's wrong. Don't assume you're right. Entertain the possibility that you could be absolutely off and wrong on this. Have them clarify what obedience to them would look like. Try to look for the way that you need to adjust your attitude and your action before you ask them to adjust theirs. You need to be ready to surrender the negotiable issues that are not clear biblical issues. Hey, I want to go out to this movie with my, with my friends on Friday. No, I think you need to be wrong. I, I think you need to be home. Well, that's not biblical to be home. Well, it's biblical to honor and obey me, though, they could say. Don't make non-biblical issues biblical issues unless they are clearly commanded or forbidden in Scripture. Then you apply the wisdom, because everything is a biblical issue in the end, isn't it? Wisdom can be applied. 
There's a haunting verse in 1 Kings. Uh, David is, is talking to his son, Adonijah. Uh, Adonijah, by the way, has tried to grab the throne illegitimately from his father David by asserting himself. 1 Kings 1.5 says this. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself saying, I will be king. So he prepared himself chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run before him. And his father, David, had never crossed him at any time. Literally caused him pain by asking, why have you done so? The point of that is is rebuking Adonijah because what David had done was to, what David had not done was to cross his son. He hadn't provoked him. Yet Adonijah was in a bad attitude, had a bad disposition toward his dad. What's the point? Invite your parents to cause you pain. It's a good way to say that. By asking you, what are you doing and what are you thinking? Invite your parents to evaluate your thinking. Number three. Number three. Make honoring them a goal, not a byproduct. A goal, not a byproduct. The place to start by seeking your parents' honor is to seek them, that you, you're giving them honor, not just using a good attitude to try to get what you want. The goal is to honor them. You're not seeking your own will and desires. You're seeking to honor them, which is ultimately honoring God. Now, let me give you a footnote. Your parents will not always be right. Your parents will not always have the right standard. Your parents will not always be in the correct disposition, but that never gives you a right and reason to have a bad attitude unless they ask you and command you to sin. Number four, evaluate your decision biblically. Well, this this will cause a whole lot of uh, issues to be solved, uh, solved very quickly. Evaluate your decision biblically. Be careful here. It's easy to justify what you're thinking with the Bible without truly being biblical. You can use Bible verses for a lot of things. I mean, if you really want to say the Bible uh, is your friend and supporting you, make sure you know what the verses mean. Or you could just flip around. You know what butterfly theology is? You just open a Bible and say, what does that say? Okay, that's what I believe. What does that say? I mean, if you do that, you could go, wow, uh, Judas went out and hanged himself. Go out and do likewise. That's not good biblical exegesis. So what does the Bible say in that situation? Seeking to be corrected by God's word rather than using the Bible to win your argument. Number five, try to discuss the issue with your parents apart from a debate, apart from the moment of tension. This is a great reminder for us as parents as well. When emotions are engaged and tempers rise, it's very difficult to apply biblical protocols. When emotions are high, judgment is rarely present. Good judgment is rarely present. You can write your thoughts out before discussing them with your parents. Maybe even write them a letter and read it to them. Asking for counsel and advice rather than giving them your thoughts. And kids, can I just tell you, your best argument is not to reference other kids. Yeah, but my friend, well, I don't know how to tell you this, but... I'm not your friend's dad. Yeah, but no one in my school, well, first of all, I don't believe that. 
And secondly, are you really ready to make that assertion? Can I make an announcement on the speakers tomorrow at your school to say, has anyone ever, it's just not going to work. Also know this. If you want an opinion about something, ask a peer. If you want counsel, ask someone who's older and more godly. You can get opinions. My old pastor, John MacArthur, used to say, opinions are like belly buttons. Everyone has one. Great spiritual wisdom. (laughs) Number six, when there is no resolution, seek counsel with them, if possible, with a church or a spiritual leader. You say, wow, really? Sure. Absolutely. Even unbelieving parents, by the way, are given by God for wisdom and instruction. There are no qualifications in the fifth commandment to obey your parents if they are Christians. Waiting is better than rushing into a decision that will alienate you from your folks. Romans 12, 18 is so critical here. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So when you seek counsel, never speak of your parents in a way that's not honoring about them. You don't want to come to your pastor or your elder or somebody else or you're sitting in your friend's kitchen with their parents and say, you're not going to believe what my parents asked me to do. The right answer is, that's interesting they said that. Can we put them on speakerphone and talk to them about this together? Because typically you only give, it's easy to only give part of the situation Hey, guys and girls, can I give you like a a 20-second little dating tip? Listen to how that person you're interested in talks about their parents. And you're going to know pretty quick how someday they're going to talk about you. Seek to change your heart rather than change your parents' Only go against your parents. Only go against your parents when all biblical and church resources have been exhausted and church leadership counsels you in that direction. Back to that friend I was talking to. We went through like eight months of counsel until we had an entire elder board that said, we cannot support, we we cannot forbid this couple from pursuing marriage when their parents are telling them, do you have to marry an unbeliever? A Christian has no business. Can I have another dating moment? Being a close, intimate friend with or dating an unbeliever, much less pursuing marriage. And as my mom used to say, boy, my mom, my sweet mom, how many things she said to me that I thought were cheesy but were so true. She used to say, Ricky, every date is a potential mate. She's right, right? Why are you going to mess around with dating someone who doesn't love Christ as much as you do? I'm real tempted to go on a dating series right this moment, but I'm not going to. We live in a world of Bart Simpson, don't we? When honoring your parents is uncool, even considered archaic, but that fact should put us all on our knees. The bottom line is this. It's okay to appeal to parents, but you're still called to obey. And as parents, it's okay to consider that appeal. I mean, come on. Parents, I shouldn't say this in front of our kids, but all of us have said things and done things and asked things and commanded things that in the end were really unnecessary, haven't we? 
Why not be appealed to in a biblical way? That will develop such a wonderful protocol for that one day, that one day, that great and glorious day when a son calls his, a father calls his son his brother, and a mother calls the daughter a sister or a son or brother, when the goal is being spiritual siblings. That's the way we're going to be in heaven. That's what we hope to happen on this earth before we go and see Christ. Disobedience to parents is such a serious issue. It is so serious. Remember Romans 1, we just looked at it a few weeks ago. They did not see fit to honor God any longer, so God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness. Now listen to this list of those who've been turned over by God. They have wickedness, greed, evil. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Disobedience to parents is right in the middle of that list of heinous sins. 2 Timothy 3.1, realize this. In the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutals, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they've denied its power, avoid such men as these. Listen, junior hires, senior hires, collegians. Being disobedient to your mom and dad throws you in a category of hellions, those who are inheriting hell. It's that serious. How serious is it? I alluded to it earlier. It was so serious to God that he actually assigned the death penalty to children who did not honor their parents. Deuteronomy 21 verse 18 if any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, and when he is, they chastise him, he will not even listen to them. Listen to that. Even after he's disciplined, she's disciplined, they still don't respond right. Then his father and his mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders. It's never just the decision of the father and mother. Now you have the spiritual leaders involved as well. Then they will come to the gateway at the city of his home. And they shall say to the elders of the city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious and he will not obey us. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst and all Israel shall hear of it and fear. Look at the principle. Those who are disobedient to parents are called evil in a community, and in a family. What's your relationship like with your parents, kids? What is it like? When they tell you not to do the things that you want to do, do you think they're just being mean because they like being mean? Hebrews 12 says, remember that they are doing this for your good. And if you disagree, there's a biblical way to appeal those challenges, to appeal those decisions. 
And in the end, if you appeal biblically, and the answer is still not satisfactory to them, you know what the Bible says? Children, obey and honor your parents. And let me just tell you, what your parents told you, have told you before, what they will tell you again is true. One day, you will have a child just like you. I find it interesting when Jesus was dying on the cross that there must have been more on his mind than he could ever imagine. The atoning sacrifice he was making the eternity of the thieves with whom he was being crucified, the unbearable physical pain, the incredulity of what was happening, the human trauma of facing imminent death, and the fact that the Father had forsaken him. Yet in the middle of all that, I just find this mind-boggling. In the middle of all of that trauma, John 19, 25 says this, but there, standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his, his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. There was a care that Jesus had for his mother that lasted until the final moments of his life. Can I be just sentimental for a second with you? I was a, I was a decent kid in terms of obedience to my parents, but man, I caused them grief. Wow, did I cause them grief. I remember Mr. Johnson in elementary school picking up, just like it was yesterday, picking up the phone and doing that rotary dial and calling my parents, calling my dad, and telling them what I'd done again. Now, this was in those days, by the way, that Mr. Johnson could give me a whooping, as they used to call it. This was the old days. I know this is going to shock some of you students, but teachers and principals used to be able to, to paddle students, and I deserved it, for the record. I just remember causing them so much grief. And both of my parents are in glory right now. They're both in heaven. And there are times that I think about it from time to time, that just ways that I was just unbearable to them. And I just wish again, I wish again I could just grab my sweet mom's hand and look her in the eye and say, I'm so sorry. So sorry. I was a jerk and a pain and disobedient Wish I could tell my dad, you were right. And I didn't want to admit it. And I remember my mom saying to me, Ricky, you have collisions with your dad because you're so much like him. And I hated that. She was right. Hopefully one day in heaven, we'll get to see each other in perfected innocence and say, what a life we had together, huh? But kids, you've got an opportunity while your parents are here and alive to honor them and obey them 
because that brings blessing in your life. Listen to them. And if you disagree, you can appeal in a biblical way. Parents, is that okay? If they come to you in a biblical way, it should be. But in the end, children, obey your parents, as Paul told the Ephesians, in the Lord, for this is right. That's how you live long, and that's how you prosper. And that was the way that the Lord said, honor those around you, love your neighbor as yourself. And it begins at home. It begins with your mom and with your dad. The subtitle to your biography could always be called so-and-so. Put your name in it. The person who struggled his or her whole life to submit to authority. Parents, teachers, coaches, all those are simple mirror reflections of God and what he calls us to be. So, sounds so cheesy, but I'm going to say it. Hug your mom and dad tonight. Tell them you love them and know this, they love you. And that's why they discipline you. They're trying to enforce the fifth commandment. Children, honor and obey your parents. Let's pray together. So clear, Father, but we understand that junior hires, senior hires, collegians are at that age where this is an impossibility from the heart unless they love and know the Lord Jesus Christ. So please give them the paradigm of faith and obedience that they've learned from mom and dad and apply that to the gospel itself, to honor and obey and to please you, and then to honor and obey and please our parents. I'm grateful for the parents here at Mission Road for their loving devotion, their humility, their care for their children. Oh, Lord, give us families that reflect gospel truth. We're not going to do it right all the time. We desperately need your encouragement and your Spirit's guidance to ask forgiveness when we don't. But give us homes that remind the world of something they desperately need and inform them of something they don't understand. And that's how the gospel works. Because parents are honoring your word and not provoking children to wrath, and children are honoring and obeying their parents. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a presentation of Mission Road Bible Church in Prairie Village, Kansas. For more information, visit Mission Road Bible Church dot com.